All right. Luke chapter 8. Brother Dave. Now, when Jesus returned. Okay, Jesus returned from somewhere. Where did Jesus return from? So, in the next slide, we have uh, a map of uh, part of Israel, the Galilee region. In the middle there is the Sea of Galilee. And on the west, you see uh, the Galilee region. And on the east was Gentile territory. So on the west in Galilee, uh, Jews live there, primarily Jews. And on the east are Gentiles. So to be in Gentile territory, you have to understand in the Jewish consciousness and in the Jewish law, if you're amongst non-Jews, uh, Gentiles, you're, you're in what is considered ceremonially unclean territory. So you have entered into a territory that's unclean. Now, uh, we don't know exactly why Jesus went over there, probably to rest, to just get away from the crowds. He probably wanted to rest, uh, but he's over there. And uh, the moment he gets over there, do you know what happened? You can read about it later uh, in Luke 8, but immediately when he gets over there, the story tells us that he met a man who was living amongst the graveyard, uh, amongst the tombs. And uh, he was possessed by what the text says is a legion, a legion, or many demons. And uh, so Jesus starts talking with these demons. It's such a peculiar text. It's so fascinating. You read the story and he's, he starts negotiating with them. They're begging him to not throw them into what they call the abyss. And so they, they're negotiating, please don't throw us into the abyss. And Jesus is talking with the demons. And then they, they beg him, the text says, they begged him to, to cast them into the pigs. Now pigs were also unclean for Jews. So Jesus is hanging out with a bunch of Gentiles amongst pigs and demons, like you do. Uh, and so he agrees. Jesus says, okay, to the demons and lets them go into the pigs. And the pigs proceed to then run and take a nosedive off of a cliff and all die. And then the people in the village all beg Jesus to leave. Dude, you're ruining our economy. Get out of here. You just killed 300 pigs. And, uh, and the guy who he heals begs Jesus, can I go with you? And Jesus says, no, stay here and tell everybody what God did for you. And then he gets in the boat and he goes back over to the Galilee region. Dave. A crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, <clears throat> a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. Okay. Uh, if you're familiar with the gospel stories, most of the time when a synagogue leader or a priest or a uh, people that were called Sadducees or Pharisees, these religious leaders of the Jews, most of the time when they enter the story, uh, do they like Jesus? No. They, they do not like Jesus. Uh, they think he's off the rails. He's giving these crazy new teachings. He's doing things they don't agree with. Uh, they just simply don't understand the man, and they don't like what he's doing at all. And so this uh, synagogue leader, Jairus, he is waiting for Jesus on the shoreline, waiting for him to return. He's just been to Gentile territory. You don't do that as a, as a Jewish rabbi, which Jesus himself was. 
And so he, he's been in Gentile territory. You don't do that, but yet here's this synagogue leader, another rabbi, waiting for Jesus to come back. He is at a place of desperation. I, I would argue he's absolutely desperate because he's willing to lose his job. He's willing to lose face. He, he's willing in the face of all of his colleagues who do not like Jesus and have rejected Jesus, he's willing to lose everything because he is desperate. This is his last card. His daughter is dying and he meets Jesus and falls on his knees before Jesus and begs him to come to his house. His daughter, it says, is about 12 years old. Now, my oldest child, my oldest daughter is almost 12. She's going to be 12 in February. And she, last week at gymnastics, uh, was doing some type of, you know, gymnastics thing that you do, at flip or whatever. And when she landed, uh, her little toe went, goop, uh, and bent sideways. And we thought it might be broken for a couple of days. Turns out it was probably a tendon, uh, and, but lots of pain, swelling, it hurt. And as a father, my level of concern when any of my children are hurt is so heightened. It's a little toe, not a big deal. This man's daughter is dying. I can't imagine what he's feeling. I can't imagine the pain he is going through and the desperation he has. And he comes to find Jesus and play his last card and ask Jesus for help. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. Okay. Uh, these are crazy crowds. Black Friday. Uh, the crowds almost crushed him. We, we've all heard the crazy stories of Black Friday, people getting crushed. I, like, I, I just, I think it's worth considering for a moment the, thing, the things crowds clamor for in our culture. Uh, whether it's consumeristic goods or a sporting event or not, not necessarily good or bad, uh, just simply being aware and noticing. Uh, and then like thinking for me in my own life, like, what am I, what am I clamoring for? And as I reflect on that question, I reckon I want to be clamoring more and more for the one who will continue to change my life. Like these crowds are clamoring for the one who they believe can and will change their life. That's what they're clamoring for. And they're, they're so aggressive that it, they almost crush the Messiah. Uh, the crowds are just surrounding him. And then this happens. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him <clears throat> and touched the edge of his cloak and immediately her bleeding stopped. Okay, so this woman, uh, her flow, it's been going for 12 years, nonstop. Now, I cannot imagine what that must be like. And for the women in the room, I, 
some of you maybe can imagine what that is like. I simply can't imagine it and how horrible it is. And here's the other thing uh, for this woman. That this is not just that she's been bleeding for 12 years. That this is also now something that's considered by the Hebrew scriptures to be ceremonially unclean. She cannot, she's not supposed to go around other people because if she touches anyone, they become unclean. And so this woman is taking a huge risk. She is pushing through the crowd. Everyone she's touching along her way, unclean, unclean, unclean. This is uh, in Leviticus. Socially and spiritually, this woman's names are unclean, unwelcome, untouchable. This is what this woman lives with in the Jewish religious context, is that she has been declared by the old law unclean. And so she can't go to the synagogue. She can't touch anyone. So she's probably living this extremely lonely, isolated existence, apart from community. And she is desperate to simply touch Jesus and experience healing. Now, next slide. We talked a little bit about interruptions last week. This, reading this text again just reminded me of this. It's so compelling to me that Jesus accepts all interruptions. And it makes me ask, are we paying attention enough to be aware of the interruptions God brings into our lives? Uh, that, so Jesus probably goes to the other side of the lake to get some rest. That's interrupted by demons and pigs. Uh, he comes back and, and the crowds show up and uh, the crowds probably uh, move apart for Jairus because he's a very important man in their culture and so he's interrupted by Jairus and then as he's going to Jairus's house he's interrupted by a woman who touched the corner of his garment and he felt power go out from him uh, here's something I notice <clears throat> Jesus accepts all these interruptions he's not upset by them He's not taken aback. He, he's just completely fine with these interruptions. And I talked last week about our, our own plans, our own agendas, our own like, ideas of what we need to get done in the day. And if that gets interrupted, how do, how do we respond? Uh, and knowing my own self, knowing I don't like to get interrupted. Uh, and what does it look like to accept the interruptions? Um, so this past week, I'm studying at the Civic Center Library, and if you haven't ever been there, you should. It's, I mean, the building itself is gorgeous. Uh, Frank, Frank Lloyd Wright designed it, and uh, library's on the fourth floor. And right when you walk into the library and turn left, there's like all these... Uh, bar stools and uh, a, like a bar table facing out this window. So you get all this natural light and hardly anyone ever sits there. So I always sit there and set up my books, my computer, and of course my noise reduction headphones go on. And uh, I study, I work, and I get this natural light. And um, I work from there 
enough to know that they regularly give tours at the Civic Center Library, uh, at the entire Civic Center, and that the library is one of the stops of the tour. And when these tours come in the library, they usually walk through the door and go a good, you know, 20 yards into the library and the tour guide will talk and I don't hear it because I got my noise reduction headphones on. And, um, but this last week I'm studying from there and this tour comes in like 30 people and they just come right in the door and stop. And so like I'm surrounded by all these people and I'm like, get out of my space. I, I, I'm in a public library and I feel entitled in a public space to my space. Uh, and I'm studying this text <laughs> where Jesus is almost crushed by people. Uh, and it, it, it hits me like, oh, uh, Jesus, next slide, is touchable. Jesus is touchable. He's always open to interruption. He's touchable, he's approachable, and he is present to all the interruptions, every time. Uh, Jairus interrupts him, this woman interrupts him, he's present. Imagine you're Jairus. My daughter's dying, what, what are you doing? What are you doing? Stopping and saying, who touched me? All the Hundreds of people have touched you. Uh, and so I just, reflecting on my own life, uh, am I touchable? Am I approachable? Uh, am I open to interruptions? And just re recognizing that for, for many of us, uh, when we experience pain, when we experience heartache, when we experience loss, that sometimes for us, it feels like Jesus isn't very touchable doesn't feel like Jesus is present. Uh, we don't feel God's presence. And here's the beauty of it, is that we all possess the Spirit of God and that somehow, mysteriously, when we don't sense God with us, God is always with us in each other because Jesus is present in you. We, somehow, mysteriously, are Jesus with skin on. And so the question for all of us to wrestle with is, is simply knowing that God's spirit resides in us, that we are invited to be Jesus with skin on. Uh, are we touchable? Are we approachable? Are we open to the interruptions? Are we present to those who need us to be present in their lives? Who touched me, Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Okay. So, um, this woman being uh, growing up Jewish, she would have known the Hebrew scriptures very well. So she would have known Leviticus very well. She would have known 
that she was unclean. She would have known she was breaking the law by being around all these people. She would have known that she was making everyone she touched unclean. And she would have known that as she reached out to touch Jesus, she would make him unclean. And yet something within her is desperate enough and believes enough that this one, this man, could heal her. And she reaches out and touches him, and she's healed. She also would have known this text from the very last book in the Hebrew Scriptures in Malachi. For you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. So I think I've mentioned this to you before, but Jewish men would have been wearing a prayer shawl. And so Jesus would have been wearing a prayer shawl. And it is believed that in this text that it's talking about the Messiah. And when uh, a Jewish man would walk around with a prayer shawl, if the wind caught it, it could look like wings. And so this woman believed with all her heart that there was healing in Jesus's wings and she reaches out and touches the tassels of his wings of his prayer shawl and she experiences healing in Jesus's wings because she believed this ancient Hebrew text from the prophet Malachi then he said to her daughter your faith has healed you go in peace okay so Socially and spiritually, what was this woman's name in her day? Unclean. Next slide. From unclean, unwelcome, and untouchable to daughter. One who belongs, one who is part of the family, one who is deeply loved. Jesus is in the business of renaming us. Whatever names we may feel like we carry around with us, Jesus is in the business of renaming us. Our names are not unclean or sinner or whatever, fill in the blank, but child of God, daughter of God, son of God, saint, beautiful one. This is what Jesus comes to do. He comes to bring about a completely new movement. And one of the things he does is simply remind us of who we are in God. And Jesus renames us. Notice this. When Jesus calls us, he calls us by names we have forgotten we had. And in that process, creates something new. Uh, What is the new thing? God is doing in you. Because uh, Jesus comes and is in our midst. And he looks in our eyes. I mean, just imagine. Imagine you're there for a moment. because That's part of what these stories are about. They're, they're, they're meant to be inhabited. Not just read and studied from afar, but they're meant to be inhabited. They're meant to, for us to experience them as if we're there. Imagine rubbing shoulders with Jesus in this crowd. He's, he's skin and he's bone and he's flesh and he's real and he's touchable and he's approachable and he looks in your eyes and he renames you. That this is part of the gift that God comes and gives us. 
a whole new identity, making us a whole new creation. Jesus comes and, and there's a new creation bursting right in the midst of this one that Jesus invites us into. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Okay. Uh, notice again. What does the text say? While Jesus was still speaking, someone came. Once again, Jesus is interrupted. And we have no hint of him being bothered by it. Uh, he just simply accepts the interruption. And now imagine you're Jairus. You hear the news. Don't, don't bother to teach her anymore. Your daughter is dead. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him, except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. Okay. Uh, so this feels kind of odd. There's all these people wailing and mourning, and then they laugh at Jesus. And so in the first century, the more wealthy you were, the more uh, professional mourners you paid. And so these people are likely being paid to wail and paid to mourn. Uh, this is just the way they did it in the first century. And so you, you would pay people to come stand outside the house and wail and weep. And so when Jesus says, hey, she's not dead, she's only sleeping, they, believing she's dead, start laughing. Now, uh, it's probably, some of it's uh, probably just because they're professional mourners and now they find that funny. Another part of it is it's just probably an uncomfortable laughter. Like, uh, we saw her, uh, we think she's dead, and who are you, and why do you think she's just sleeping? So Jesus shows up, and he has said to Jairus, don't be afraid. He, he speaks into Jairus' deepest fears, and he says, do not be afraid, just believe. And he shows up, and he goes inside the house. But he took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told, uh, told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. Okay, so Jesus walks in, and he takes the girl by the hand, and he says, get up. Uh, now these words, get up, are the same words used in Ephesians 5. Says this, everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, wake up. So, same words. When he says to the little girl, get up, same words here. Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Je Jesus reaches into death and pulls out life. A and Jesus does it then, and I believe he's doing the same thing here and now in our lives. Whatever death we experience, whatever heartache, whatever pain, whatever brokenness, Jesus reaches into that and he says, wake up, oh sleeper, get up. I am present, I am approachable, 
I am touchable, I am here. And he is here in each one of you. And this morning, as we come forward and take a piece of bread and dip it in the cup, that this is a physical, tangible reminder Jesus left for us, something that's touchable and physical. Jesus' presence here with us, and we're invited to remember his death for us, and we're invited to remember that that's not the end of the story, that he rose again, and new life is springing forward within all of us, and Jesus reaches into death and pulls out life. And so this morning, as you come forward and take a piece of bread and dip it in the cup, simply invite you to remember the presence of Christ with you, that he is approachable, he is touchable, he is present to you. And my deep longing and prayer for you is that we we would all wake up, that that we would experience new awareness and, and the presence of Christ like we have never experienced it before. As the band comes forward, I wanna read something to you. And if you're comfortable, close your eyes and and just focus on these words. You who are called daughter, you who are called son, you with your pain and sorrow, your life in a whirlwind of chaos, fear, confusion, and uncertainty, you who believe and you who sometimes believe and sometimes don't believe much of anything. And you who would give almost anything to believe if only you could. You happy ones and you who can hardly remember what it was like to be happy. You who know where you're going and how to get there. And you who much of the time aren't sure you're getting anywhere. Wake up, Jesus says, all of you. Wake up, and the power that is in him is the power to give life, not just to the dead child, but to those who are only partly alive, which is to say people like you and me who much of the time live with our lives closed to the wild beauty and miracle of things, including the wild beauty and miracle of every day we live in, even the wild miracle of ourselves. It is that life-giving power that is at the heart of this shadowy story about Jairus, the daughter he loved, and a desperate woman, and that I believe is at the heart of all our stories. The power of new life, new hope, new beginning, that whether we know it or not, I think, keeps us coming to places like this week after week in search of it. It is the power to get up even when getting up isn't all that easy for us anymore, and to keep getting up and going on toward whatever it is, whoever he is, that all our lives long reaches out to take us by the hand, to rise up and walk with the one who renames us and gives us life again. Uh, This morning, if you simply need to be reminded that Jesus is present in us, that that Jesus is touchable, that Jesus is approachable. Uh, As you come and partake of the bread and the cup, I'll be standing over here and I I have some anointing oil and I simply invite you to come over to me 
and I'll anoint your head in the sign of the cross and remind you Jesus is present to you. God, as we come and partake this morning, I pray that you would wake us up more than ever before to your loving presence and to our desperate need for you. God, when all other resources are gone, that you are still there. I pray that you would fill us up with your presence this morning, with your hope, with a longing for a new day. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.